this chapter and you kind of would start maybe and ask the question personally, have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt abandoned in your life? Uh, you remember like the last time we studied a psalm, we saw last, not last week, but the week before we studied Psalm 12 and David kind of felt abandoned by men because he said, there's not, there's no righteous around the, the righteous are gone. He kind of felt like the whole of society's crumbling around him. And he's sitting there saying there are no godly people left. And so you kind of see that and you say he felt abandoned by men. But in Psalm 13, he feels abandoned by God. This is probably the worst place to, you could possibly be to feel like that God had abandoned you. He left you. you. You could feel that for a number of different reasons. Sometimes you might say, I know my sin is so great. God must abandon me because my sin is so great. Or maybe you feel abandoned by God because maybe you didn't do certain things that you wish you had done with your life. And so you struggle with that. There's a lot of different reasons people feel abandoned. But I think it's important to see that, that that's a real issue. Um, James Boyce, I was reading his commentary this week, and he was saying like that there are a lot of people that he's counseled over the years that struggled with feeling abandoned by God. Uh, and he said, you know, sometimes we don't even write that much about it. Like in Christ, the Christian world, a lot of people don't write a lot about that, but that is something that we face so often. Many times, like when you you kind of get around groups of people, they talk about how victorious a Christian life is to be. And so they'll say like, hey, they'll talk to you about victory, but they won't talk to you about living. I mean, like really dealing with the issue and the struggles of feeling abandoned. And so he talked about that. He said it was very interesting to see David who had triumphed greatly, but at the same time had experienced great sorrow. And he's real open about that. And he's sharing um, with us about that. Um, you know, it's interesting, too. I was thinking about it this week, about the times that I've met with people and how often I meet with people and they are struggling and we struggle personally. All of us do uh, this week. Even I met with a man who, who was dealing with like walking through the last several years of his life. And as we talked about those last several years, there, there was he had been through a real trying time. And even though he didn't say, I feel abandoned by God, he indicated like the intimacy that he had once known with God felt like it, 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 it had, he had lost that. He, he had lost that that kind of that, you know, for some reason or another. And I, I think some of us may have times in our lives where you can look back and say, man, I remember those days. I, I mean, they're, they're kind of like a distant memory. You remember those days when it seemed like the speed at which you were growing in the faith was astonishing like you couldn't believe it like you you were just moving forward so fast and maybe some of you are in that place right now but just know that's not always the way it is there are times where we are we're going to move forward real fast you're going to see like things and God do things and and you're just going to say man this is shocking and yet at other times you're going to come through times trying times where just as equally good for you that are going to bring you through times where you're going to say man I feel like I'm all alone in this deal. God is not really moving in our lives in the way he has. And you're just kind of struggling to take one step um, forward. And so I think it's important to understand that. Now, here's what you're going to see. David is going to show us that experience of despair. And then you're going to see him kind of move to trusting in God. So let's just look at this real quick. You can scan it. Verse 1 and 2, he shows you this feeling of abandonment. 3 and 4, he prays and he asks God questions. And he asks God really to turn his face towards him. 
And then verse 5 and 6, he expresses really this kind of recovered trust in God. And he sings like at the end. He's praising God. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see a repeated phrase. That's one of the things that I try to do when I'm studying the Bible. I'll say, do I see any repetition? Well, here you see repetition. How long? How long? How long? How long? Four times you see this question of how long. Now, what does that tell us? That means this is a prolonged struggle for him. This is not something like yesterday was bad. Oh, you know, Lord, did you leave me? You know, it's like this is a long period of time of struggling with this thing that he's dealing with. Now, I don't like those. Like, I don't know about you, but um, I, I don't really like waiting on anything. I get frustrated if I go to my phone, my computer or my phone or something like that. And I'm going on the internet and I like search something and it doesn't come up immediately. Like I'm ready to throw that thing on the ground and trample on it and be like, what's the problem? You know, like, and so I'm ready to like go crazy. I don't really like going to McDonald's and waiting. Like a lot of times I'll get oatmeal. It takes a little bit longer. And I'm going, what are they doing in there? You know, this is instant oatmeal. Like it's not supposed to. But anyway, you're kind of battling with that. I'm, I'm accustomed to getting my needs met. We live in that kind of world where it's conven- like convenience is something that kind of rules the day. If you can't get it to me quick, then I'm like throwing a fit, right? And I may not do that like publicly, but internally I'm going like, what is the problem with these people? So here's the thing. Because of that, I think it makes it even harder for us in this area of when we're waiting on God to, to, really, to, to really struggle through that. I think certain cultures may understand that more fully, but ours, it's much more difficult because everything is so instant. David is struggling for a long period of time. He says, how long, O Lord? It, it, this is, again, just it, it, he he's really kind of got to that place where it's almost like he may have been walking through the desert for a long period of time. We could say spiritually speaking. One of the things you see when he says, how long, O Lord, though, is like, his dependence on God, he knows that the Lord is the Lord. Like he is the sovereign of the universe. He is his Lord. And so he's going to him because he believes that he is the only one who can act and change history. That's a big step. That is a step of faith. When Even though he's saying, how long, Lord, what, what's going on here? He is still going to the Lord because he knows that he is the one who is in charge and he is the one who will change the situation that he's in. Now, he says, how long, O Lord, will you, you'll notice here, will you forget me forever, he asks. When you feel forgotten, like I always, uh, it always cracks me up. I don't know if I mentioned this. I may have. I thought about it not too long ago. But like uh, when Benjamin gets in my lap a lot of times, he, if I'm focused on something, he'll grab, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, he'll, he'll put his hands on my face and turn, turn my face towards his face. Yeah, my face towards his face so that I'm looking him in the eyes. Why does he do that? Why, why does he want? Because he is saying, look, I want your attention on me. I want you to be focused on me in this moment. He's asking me to turn. And he's not asking. He's grabbing my face. You know, but he's turn your face towards me. Like, give me your I want your undivided attention. He, he is asking God, like, I, I feel forgotten, Lord. 
can can you can you look at me look at this situation it's very important i think that we understand that david is crying out for the mercy of god to to sh- to shine his face on him in a way when you feel god's absence even for a short time you might be a little patient and say well the lord's working out his plan but for a long period of time it becomes a great struggle. You see that in the life of Job. Immediately, Job responds in trust in the Lord, and he trusts him all the way through. But you see, as the trial increases, and the longer it lasts, the more difficult it becomes. So we see this prolonged struggle, and then you see kind of a, a lack of apparent blessing. He can't see it. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you're looking at things and you're saying like, I can't see anything. I can't see God doing anything in this moment. That's kind of what's happening when he says this hiding your face. uh, The idea of God's um, face shining on you is the idea of blessing. Because in the Bible, when you read, I mean, from when, when you see the temple, you see the tabernacle, you see all those things. It is God's presence coming down in the midst of the people. And it means that they are in a state of blessing. To be separated from God, Adam and Eve, in the garden, when they are cast out of the garden, they are cast out of the presence of God, and they are under a curse. Right? And so here, when he's saying this, 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 the blessing's gone because God's favor is not on him. He's not, he's not experiencing God watching over him. He doesn't see the, you know, God's blessing in his life. It's very important to see it now. Sometimes you could do that in marriage. You could say after you're married for a little bit of time, maybe you, you, you remember those times of joy in your marriage and then maybe you have children and stresses come and job and everything gets more and more and more stressful and you might feel alienated from one another and you say, I used to feel the Lord's like presence working in our lives and our marriage was wonderful and I saw that in a very real way and now that seems to be gone. I feel like we're dr- drifting apart. Another might be with children. You might grow up and watch your kids grow and you're just amazed by all those things and you're having so much fun and enjoying it. And then they get to their teenage years and you think, Lord, like, are you, I mean, what's happened to this kid? You know, like, Lord, you seem to be like working in the life of our family. And now it's like terrorizing us. Like the whole, this child that you gave us is like lost, lost their mind. Like what's going on? And so you kind of are watching some of that go on in work. Sometimes somebody works a long time somewhere and they may work there like 20 years. And then all of a sudden, like a boss leaves and a new one comes and it's it's horrendous. The things that are going on there and the difficulties that someone faces (coughs) and you think, Lord, have you forgotten about me? Have you abandoned me? Have you turned away from this situation? Do you not see what's going on here? Um, Sometimes in church life, you can work really, really hard. And I've faced that on many occasions where you just work and you work and you work and you think, do I, am I going to ever see God really move in a mighty way? Like, and sometimes you face that and you think, Lord, are you going to like shine down on us and like bless us tremendously and let us see? And I'll go through those times where I'm thinking, Lord, are you going to move in, in a mighty way? And we just keep working really hard. We want to see you move. Um, even spiritually, you might feel like you get into that slump where you're like, Used to, you would sit down, you'd read the word, you'd pray, you just saw God moving. Uh, you saw sin going away and, and you could just seem like you could fight off sin. And then you find yourself slowly kind of struggling. So you kind of see this kind of prolonged struggle. You see God's face turning away as the idea that David has in his mind. He's not, he's not, bring, he's not blessing me in helping me through these things. And then as a result of that, you see these kind of these dark thoughts that come. Notice what happens in verse 2. 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? He's kind of in, he, he, he's going down. Like this is not a good place that he's in. He, he really is at that place where his whole, it's almost like his heart, everything, he's focused so inwardly that he just keeps kind of like going over and over and over his issues and problems and struggles. And he's in this kind of depressed state. It's like all day long in my heart, internally, I'm in turmoil. And you may have been there. I mean, really, seriously, like people go through those times. It's very real struggle. And here he is in this place where in this prolonged struggle, it becomes worse and worse and worse. And it's hard to address and deal with. Um, If you've ever had like ongoing like health issues, this is something that kind of sometimes that that becomes like all consuming if it lingers on. And I've been there where I felt like it's never going to go away. Like you're going to always feel bad every day. You're going to kind of wake up and not feel like you think that, that you used to feel. Like Anna said, the only thing that would rescue me during that time when I was going through that was hunting season. You know, like it would show up and be like, I have a newfound like joy for life. You know, I'm so happy, you know, but like, honestly, like until they got the medication right for me, I, like I kept going through this struggle and through the struggle where you felt like you just couldn't feel good and and so that the prolonged struggle makes it very difficult and you see david again sinking down in this kind of these uncontrolled emotions maybe you say hey i've been there i've been there physically and then it kind of affected my mental state i've been there mentally it affected my physical state all of those things people go through these struggles and and some people are more prone to depression so some people kind of like their whole lives is kind of like that. They battle with that. And so I just think it's important that you say, well, I'm good today. Like, don't beat me down. Like, I know this. I, I'm good. I don't ever feel like this. I don't struggle in this way. The reality is, is even like trying to minister to other people uh, or, or really just knowing that someday you may be in this place of despair. But even if you were ministering to someone, it's not just one of those things you go to them and say, tighten up. You know, here's a couple of verses. Call me in the morning. You'll be good. You know, it's like you can't throw that on people like that. You have to be careful as you're moving through that to help people walk through these struggles. Now, he goes on to say, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? This reminds you of like uh, Elijah where he was. um, He goes and he fights the prophets of Baal and then. He goes out alone by himself and he's like, I'm the only one left. And he's in this place of great sorrow. And he said, they all want to kill me still. Like he had just done these great things for God. Everybody knew it, that God was the reigning ruler of the universe. It was a beautiful picture. And then he's down there at the uh, so broken saying they're still trying to kill me. Now, what about our enemy? We, We have to know this too. You know, like you have an enemy, Satan is seeking, like, prowls around trying to find those he can devour. He wants to discourage you. Satan wants to get you to the point where you're so discouraged you will not live for God. You will not pursue the things of God. You will not run after the things of God and serve other people and give your life in service to them. He is trying to destroy you. He's trying to take you apart systematically. And so we understand that. And he's trying to kind of bring us to this depressed state where we will not be useful in the spiritual battle that we have to fight. And so I just encourage you to know that. You need to remember that. He's not victorious over you, but he is real and there is a great battle. So we see here 
David's like feeling of abandonment, like God has left him. He comes to this place and he begins to pray. He prays for deliverance. Look at verse 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He prays. That's what he starts with. He prays. And that's something we have to kind of do a lot. Like sometimes when you think like life's so crazy, you'd be like, man, this has been going so crazy. And you say, I've got to get before the Lord in prayer. I've got to seek his face. I've got to come to him and say, God, please consider my condition. Answer me. I have these questions. I want to see you work. And, he, and that's what he cries out for. He says, Lord, answer me. The Bible speaks about that. I want you to turn in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I want you to just turn there. And I want you to see what David, I mean, I mean what um, Jesus says to his people. Luke 18, 1 through 8. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear nor God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You notice what happens here when Jesus is saying he's saying, listen, if a a, a judge who cares nothing about God or man will respond because this widow keeps coming to him and wearing him out, how much more that God who loves us, God loves to respond to his people. We come to him and we cry out for an answer and we long for him to move in our lives and we should. We should pray and seek the Lord's face and say, Lord, bless me in this situation. Help me in this situation. Bring me out of this dark moment. He says, look on me, answer, give light to my eyes. He is in a desperate situation. He wants the Lord to lift him up. We should be praying that prayer. He wants God to to bring to to pass the things that he has. He's in a state of panic. God, bring your plans to pass for me. God, you made promises that you would bless us, your people, and keep us and guide us and direct us. And we need to pray that. He wants God to give light to his eyes. He, he, this is the idea of saying, give me physical and mental health. Bring me back to life in a way. I, I, I'm falling apart. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever say, God, please, like work in this situation. Listen, one of the things that God does is bring us to a place of desperation. Sometimes it's interesting to me. I think if you don't ever pray like that and beg God to do those things and work in the situation, you kind of wonder, like, are you one of his children? Because with his children, he helps them grow up. And part of the ways he helps you grow up is to carry you through dark times so that in the darkness, you can trust him to shine on you, to come to you and deliver you. He loves to help you grow up in that way. 
So we must learn to seek him and go and, and run after the Lord. And we ought to counsel one another in this way. Sometimes I think we just, and I struggle with that. I mean, I, I think sometimes I don't stop and say, then let's just pray this through together. Let's fight this fight together. I want to counsel you to run to the Lord and run to him. Let's do that together and seek his face. Look what it leads to. He prays this, this prayer of faith and he's renewed. Verse 5 and 6. You see him kind of grow in trust and confidence. He says, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Listen to what one guy says about this. <clears throat> he says, faith has climbed out of the lowest depths of despair where it had well nigh perished in, into the full sunlight of godly hope. Now it can wait for the help to come for it is sure that it will not fail him. David is trusting in the, his covenant God. You know, sometimes we say, and I honestly, like I, I've met people that live their whole Christian life in fear almost. It's almost like, well, am I falling out of faith and, and out of favor? Is God, does God hate me now? Is it, you know, and it's almost like they're, they're in, afraid that God is always, they're on the edge of losing favor with God. It's one of those things where you think, wait, hold on just a second. Is that what the Bible teaches? Is the Bible centered on that? The, the Bible is actually about a covenant-keeping God who sets His covenant love upon His people and that He keeps them when they cannot keep themselves. When they are rebellious and immoral and ungodly and they struggle and sin, all those things, He's constantly dragging them along, bringing them to repentance, bringing them and renewing their faith and helping them grow up. God is the one who's committed to keeping His promise to His people to save them, and it's not us. He's constantly doing that work. I want you to see this, this uh, from Romans 8, verses 31 through 38. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's saying God didn't spare his son. God killed his son. His son died on the cross for us. He was put on the cross so that we might be saved. God is committed to rescuing his people. God is committed to you in the darkest of nights. You say he is committed. God does not abandon his people that he sent his son to die for. It's very important that we see that he did not spare his own son. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. What is he saying? The, the, the enemy of our soul might bring up and say, look at how wretched those people are. Look at how dark they are. Look how wayward they are. And, and he's saying, who can bring a charge against God's elect? God justifies his people. How does he do that? He, may, he, he justifies us, declares us right with Him because of what Christ did on the cross. Jesus lived this perfect life and then He died on the cross for our sins. So that you bring up a charge and say, those wretched people before God. And God says, I have declared them right with me, not because of who they are or their performance, but because of Christ's work. 
Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Condemn who? Condemn God's people. Who's going to do that? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that. Who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed interceding for us. What is he saying? Jesus died in our place. Jesus was condemned for us. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was raised. Jesus is interceding in heaven. Jesus has done it and accomplished it. We do not save ourselves. He did that for us. If anybody comes internally in your mind. If Satan goes before the throne of God, if anybody says, oh, how wicked those people are, how could they be saved? Then what are we saying here? Paul is saying God has accomplished our salvation in Christ. He did what we could not do for ourselves. He rescued us by dying on the cross for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to separate you from him? Just think about this for a moment. Shall tribulation, will distress, will persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Can anyone separate you from the love of Christ? That's that's an shocking picture for you. You say, I'm unlovable. Have you ever sinned and thought, I'm really unlovable right now? And then when you think you're doing really good, you think, oh, I'm really lovable. And the reality is you're not really lovable. I mean, there's nothing about you that I would look and say, if I was to examine all your thoughts, all your actions throughout your life, I would say, you know what you deserve? Hell. I mean, that's what you deserve. Like you deserve to be eternally punished and sent to hell. That, that's what you deserve. You would say, well, not after I was a Christian. No, after you're a Christian. You still deserve that. That, That's what I would say. That's what you would say about me. And what does he say here? People can come and bring charges. They can condemn. They can seek to destroy. And what is he saying? He is saying what Jesus accomplished for us allows us to be in a state of blessing. As he keeps on, he says, for verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything else will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There was a lady who had all the reason in the world to be in despair. Her name was Darlene Rose, or Dibler Rose, but she was a missionary who was placed in a Japanese camp during World War II. In her darkest of moments, when she could really feel like I'm abandoned by God, she would be reminded over and over that the Lord said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. This reality helped her move forward. Trusting God in the midst of the most horrific situations. This is the kind of thing that leads David to sing. He doesn't sing because... He, he's not singing because he's trusting in himself. He is trusting in a covenant-keeping God who will never leave him or forsake him. Now, listen to this. One last little thing. We always try to think when we're studying through a book like this or studying through a chapter, we'll think about how do we read this as a Christian. You ready? You read this deal. David's despairing. He feels like he's been abandoned. He's begging God to come and rescue him. He's saying, Lord, please, this has been a long season. 
what does a believe? How do we even think in a greater way than David? <clears throat> we may feel abandoned, but Jesus was truly forsaken of God on the cross. On the cross, Jesus quoted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when you feel abandoned by God, you run to the cross. Why? Why? Because Jesus was abandoned by God for you. Jesus was abandoned so that you could be in a good standing. So that you would never be left. So that he, he hung on that cross alienated from God so that you could be reconciled to God. There's a, 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 a praise song that was popular a few years ago. It went like this. I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. I'm accepted because you were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. How, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? So in the darkest moment, <clears throat> you need to remember the cross. You have to preach the gospel to yourself. You're saying to yourself, I feel abandoned. I understand why I would be. But here's the thing. Oh, no, the cross just showed up in my mind. Just for a moment, I stopped and considered Jesus was on the cross abandoned for me so that I could be reconciled to God, so that you could be reconciled to God, so that you could say, listen, that's my hope. Now listen, if you are not a believer here in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be out there saying, oh, I have a God, I'll think about Him, I pray to Him, hopefully He'll save me. And I'll say, how could He? How could any God who is holy and just and right rescue you? You are a wretch and you've rebelled and you've separated yourself from God and ran away from Him. How in the world would He ever do that? And I would say the God of the Bible is holy and just and right. And he did that. How did he do it? He sent his son to die on the cross so that the son would be alienated. So the son would be abandoned. So the son would be separated. So that you will not be. That, that's your hope. That's the hope of the Christian gospel. Your darkest day when you feel all alone, you run to the cross and say Jesus was separated because and he was sent far away so that I could be brought near. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, you might say, one last thing, you might say sometimes, but Jared, even though I know that it feels that way, and it does. But one day, this is so awesome, it won't feel that way anymore. Jesus not only came the first time to, to reconcile you to God, He is coming a second time. And when He comes that second time, you will never experience even the remotest fear that you are separated from Him. The, you know, the martyrs in Revelation... In the book of Revelation, ask how long, how long until you judge the wicked? How long? And then you hear these words at the end of Revelation. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. To which the church replies, come, Lord Jesus. We as the church should say, Lord, I know you're coming soon. We welcome that day. 
We know that you reconciled us to the Father. We know we will fully experience that in the end. We ask you to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that we would be transformed by it. I pray, Lord, when we feel like we're alienated or abandoned by you, that we would run to the truth, that we would hope in the promise of the gospel, that the one who was alienated has brought us near, that once we were separated, once we had no access, and now we've been brought into the very throne room of God. And we praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.